It's the season for gratitude, and I'm feeling incredibly grateful for this busy year of mini golf. We're ready to kick off episode 69. Nice on the podcast. Greetings. You know me. I'm Tom, and I go by Mr. T. I'm a proud co founder and organizer of the American Mini Golf Alliance, the AMA, and a massive mini golf appreciator in all its forms. You can find all the mini golf designs, reviews, and more for myself and the Pink Putter at a couplepots.com and on social media at couplepots. We're way behind on reviews still, and it's going to be that way, but. This winter, we're focusing on just indoor courses. So no matter where you live in the country, there's still mini golf to be played. So you can find some of those reviews. And if you're looking for course and whole design work, go to minigolfdesigners.com and check out our stuff. Or you can pick up some of our merch at minigolfgoods.com. I'm Pat, the co-founder of the Mini Golf website, social media conglomerate, and like Tom, we are so far behind on reviews. I just realized it was a couple from May when I went and visited you that I haven't like put the pictures together yet. <laughs> so a lot of winter activity for both of us. And with that, it's actually hard to believe we're going to be putting our second AMA season to bed, mostly in this episode. We've got some stuff coming up later in the next couple of weeks as well. And we're just weeks away from 2024. So I'm not only thankful for my co-hosts for all the fun we've had this year, but everybody else who's contributed to the success of the AMA and the podcast. So on the Penguin side, once we get those reviews up, you can find all of our fun at theputtingpenguin.com. You can also find us at Putting Penguin on most of the major social media outlets. And while you're scrolling, don't forget to follow all of the podcast mini accounts. And finally, since you're clearly in love with our podcast, make sure you're liking, subscribing, and giving us a great review wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. And I always say it, but this is the official podcast of the American Mini Golf Alliance, the AMA. Kind of knew that already. And in a bit of gratitude here, if you want to blame or credit someone for the start of the AMA, you have only to look at my co-host, Pat Sheridan. He is the one that got me hooked on this competitive side of the game. And now all of a sudden I own mini golf balls from Europe and we are running a full-on U.S. competitive organization. So credit to Pat on that and bringing me down this rabbit hole that he's been in. And it's just been a blast. And if you love mini golf and you want to join us in the nerdiest of mini golf endeavors like the AMA, you can become a new member for free over at amaminigolf.com. I've sent out most of the membership cards for 2023 at this point. I think I have one or two to send out. I will probably send out new cards through the end of November here, and then we'll probably start sending out cards again in the new year. And our membership is free all through 2023. Thanks to our member sponsor, Walkabout Mini Golf, our favorite VR game. They're going to come up a few times in here, but we love having them on board and them helping us make this endeavor something that we can do with a bunch of other people for fun and not really be out of pocket. I can send you a membership card in the mail and can afford to do that without uh, emptying out my wallet. So that is cool. But uh, we got lots and lots of mini golf to talk about. And so, Pat, kick us off with some news. I will. Although, uh, talking about not emptying out the wallet, I do feel like as I was listening to you, we should probably like, make one of those money is gone reels and just show the pile of mini golf balls that we've collected over the past couple of years because it's just, 
dollars out the door, dollars, crowns, pounds, whatever, <laughs> various uh, uh, denominations that we've used over the past few years to make our collections. And by the way, Pat, our order that you, me, and Aaron put together for Pingvin, it's on its way from DHL. So uh, we're already nerding out for 2024 and getting some additional gear so our wallets just keep they just keep getting emptied and we're glad to do it it's always fun to purchase things on sites overseas where everything needs to be translated and you have to figure out what a whole bunch of words are that are directly related to properties of walls that you have no idea what they'll be but it's exciting it really is it is fun. And uh, turning our attention to news. So we're going to kick off with a little bit of information on where we are with the WMAX World Adventure Golf Tour. We've got the last European date that will happen this weekend. So we're recording this on the 17th. This is happening on the 18th and 19th of November. That's the Portuguese Open. Um, I know there's a couple of the U.S. folks, Rick Berg, Vanette Blocker over there. I know it's brought some folks in from the U.K. So It'll be interesting to see, you know, how the points shape up after that. And then we've got the events in New Zealand and Australia still to come to really wrap up the first year of that and to finalize who's going to be in the final in April. But and really looking at the way the points come out, you know, from a U.S. perspective, some of those folks who played at Matterhorn and where they finished, I would say after the Portuguese Open, a pretty good idea because I don't think there's going to be a lot of crossover between the European field and the New Zealand and Australia that could get up there. So excited to see as that wraps up its first year. Um, I know this will be after it happens, so you won't be able to watch live. But if you do go back to the Facebook pages, they, there is going to be live streaming of the Portuguese Open. So something to watch after you listen to this episode and you need some more of your mini golf fix here in the winterish months. I'm looking forward to watching that. That course in uh, Portugal, I forget where it is. It's in Porto, I believe. It looked pretty cool. I was mildly curious about going over there for that, and someday I think I'll do that one. That one just seems like a lot of fun. So I hope the WAG Tour is successful and keeps going because it could be a, an interesting opportunity to travel overseas to compete. But turning over to the last really major tournament of the year anywhere, for that matter, is the Pop Stroke Tour Championship that was held in Scottsdale, Arizona. This event is coming on the heels of a season of a lot of league events at a bunch of the courses, as well as five major national tour events, part of their tour series that we had talked about. But the Tour Championship, much like last year's event in Sarasota, the big event really, which is odd, focused on doubles. And they had four rounds where I believe the first two rounds were best ball. And then they had a cut. And they had about 100 teams of doubles, so 200 competitors, which is crazy and massive, that played the first day. And then they cut the field in half. And then the second day, I believe they played aggregate and something else. It's hard to keep track because of the doubles. They played a lot of different ways. And in the end... Uh, Adam Shanks, and I'm going to probably butcher this name, so I apologize, Try Win, uh, won the event by a stroke uh, after four rounds. They had a 169. They're one stroke better than the Swedes, Ricard Lochner and Gunnar Bengtsson. And in third, guess who's there? 
more Swedes, Hans Olofsson and Matthias Hogloff. And in fourth, guess what? More Swedes, Kevin Sundstrom and Alexander Molina, who between them and Matthias are pretty young putters to go along with those three veteran Swedes. You're seeing the history of like Swedish mini golf and their system playing out in real time. And I expect all three of those younger guys to be in the picture for a long time. And I don't see Ricard, Gunnar, or Hans going anywhere anytime soon. They're going to keep being on top of the leaderboards. What's even more impressive is the fifth place team features the UK number one player, Sevi Kukielka, and Frank Bassesi. They had a really good showing uh, coming in fifth, just above the team of Greg Newport and Brian Johnson. Then it was Rainey Statham and Gary Hester. Charlotta Sorenstam and Robert Delosh were in eighth, tied with Brandon Fox and Brock Gillespie. And then for 10th, there was a couple-way tie, Jeffrey McDonald and Lee Messinger, Robert Morris and Rusty Taylor, Chris Johnson and Jacob Staz, Redford Bobbitt and Colton Lappa, all tied for 10th in that doubles event. And all of those folks were paid out. It was a $50,000 purse making it, I believe, one of the largest purses in the United States, if not the largest overall this year. So that was a doubles event. You know, going back to it, you look at that top five and you have six Swedes and the top UK player of the 10. And that's just like wild. And if you look down the field in the doubles event, you have Patrick Reiner from Austria. You had Daniel and Mathieu Velchek. You had a number of French-speaking Canadians that I saw sharing on social media. So they had a massive, massive, massive turnout, not only of players, but from people around the world. Because as purses go, there's nothing close to this in the world. Like most of these tournaments, they don't have these purses where at the top you could potentially walk with $10,000. And many of them, $1,000 is massive. So... The doubles event was wildly successful again. Pat, what did you think just about how that turnout and how that all went? From afar, neither of us seeing anything other than social media. Well, right. You're just watching scores and some of the social media. I mean, I guess I'm not surprised. You know, at the end of the day, when you have that many rounds on a course that you have, I mean, really, if you look at second through seventh place, every one of those is a champion miniature golfer. Yeah. At the end of the day, like these are all people who have won or come close to extremely major tournaments over multiple, multiple years. And so I know there's a a lot of, obviously you said 200 people who play this, but when, you know, you're friends with most of the top seven at the end of the day from what you do, I mean, I think it's a good sign that again, mini golf is, is not golf. And there is a skill set that is in there that separates those top players from just good putters. Um, so it, it's great to see. I mean, we'll talk a little bit about sustainability, but I think that's a really good showing. And of course, um, yeah, it goes back to, this is, I don't know, whatever, 20 years that I've been doing this as well. And, you know, the Swedes are still just rolling into places and <laughs> winning. Just never, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. We should all go over there for a couple of years and just hang with them and do like, only. yeah, like a immersive training, like we're Batman or something. Believe me, I dream of that after spending some time over there this year. 
Uh, the, the other event that was at the Tour Championship was a 30-person singles event that had a $10,000 purse, and it was based on a points race that they had throughout the year that was a combination of points that you could earn either in the five major tournaments that they had throughout the year, as well as the local leagues. And I think it was a little bit controversial with some of the touring mini golf players just because if you don't live in Florida, Arizona, or in Texas near those courses, it makes it really hard. And in fact, Arizona only recently got, I think around the time of the Super Bowl or around then is when they got the Glendale course and the Scottsdale course just opened this fall right before the tournament. So it's not as if anybody really got to learn that course, but if you live there, you had some advantage. So you had your top 30 players who'd earned points throughout the season that made the cut. And the purse ended up being $10,000. And Chris Johnson won by two strokes with a 109 over three rounds over Gary Hester, who had a 111. We had Alexander Molina from Sweden coming in third, tied with Nate Nichols, who's, you know, putt-putt and mini-golf pro that's done well in tons of events. as And also tied for third was Adam Shanks, who his team won the doubles event, and he had won the Glendale singles event previously. After that, Jeff Gibraltar in six, Matthias Hogloff in seven. We had Tri Win and Robert Deloche tied at eighth, and then Jacob Fair and Jacob Staz tied for 10th reason I went down that whole list is you start to see a lot of familiar names between the top 10 singles and top 10 doubles. A lot of those people traveled because they've been earning points all season. I think they're trying to figure out what they're going to do for next year for that points race, but I have a feeling that there's going to be some sort of cap that you can win in the local leagues because otherwise you sort of make the events and the race for points irrelevant at the end of the year, you know, if you don't live near any of those courses and you can't play in a bunch of those, then you don't get to play in a singles event in the championship. Seve and Frank, who finished fifth in doubles, they fell out of the top 30 and they didn't get to play in that singles event. And there were all these top international players that didn't get a chance to play in that singles event, which seems odd. It's not to dismiss anybody in that top 30, but to cut it off to that small of amount of people feels like a miss, especially given most mini golf tournaments really come down to singles events to like diminish it this year felt especially weird because last year, if you remember the whole doubles event was leading up to the winner of that event, playing Paul Kramer and Ricky Fowler and Chris Johnson and Jacob Staz not only did that, but they won and they made a big event out of it on the golf channel. This year they didn't have the golf channel doing anything as far as I could tell for video capture, not really much capture of video at all. But then you also really highlight that more. And that seems to me like a really big miss to have like a best ball doubles event be the only real thing. And that kind of falls on the heels of that happened because the event that they were trying to highlight, the big high stakes, high roller event that was going to be against Colin Mirakawa. I don't even know what the format was going to be, but there was going to be 
over a million dollars at stake, it was sort of quietly swept under the rug that this isn't happening. And then I guess Colin Mirakawa dropped out is what I'd heard. Uh, that's not substantiated anywhere, but you're also not going to advertise that your top pro just backed out. And they had been making a big deal of that. And to have a million dollar event, which would have been the entire season's purses times like five, at least combined go away that, you know, when you put that out in the world and then you just kind of have it disappear, it feels to diminish it. So all of a sudden you go from three events in this big tour championship to two and no video capture. And it feels like it could have been more and they wanted it to be more. And I think it was successful. And I think it was a, from afar looked like a great event and the players loved it. But seeing that real dial back is, you know, a little worrisome about what's potentially in store for pop stroke and, you know, it moving forward in the way that they were kind of purporting to do. Yeah. And I guess there's a different spin on it. Cause I think you, you put it correctly of like, this wasn't the focus. I think if they went out there and said, you know what, the doubles is our thing. We're going to do this doubles with this thing because there isn't a lot. I mean, the PPA, the national championship does have a doubles national championship, but outside of that, like the team events at the masters and U S open are all side events. You know, they don't, they're just combined scores and stuff. But if you went out there and said, no, this is like going to be our thing. We're going to do this doubles. It's going to be this format. It's going to be the big dollar thing. That's a niche that's not filled. And it's actually, yeah. I think it's really cool to have that extra way of playing. And then if you said, yeah, you know, we're going to have a smaller singles event that rewards the points gathering during the year. There's a, a great way to frame that as your primary thing. And I know, yeah, you know, the, the whole points thing we struggle with, obviously, on the AMA because of distance and size, and it's been a big consideration for us. But to your point, it is it does seem weird because they had so strongly for a little while pointed to the singles event and the high rollers stuff, even at the other tournaments where they expected to have these big high roller events that got dialed back. And then it's almost like you settle on this doubles versus making it. And maybe they change that, right? Maybe they, they spin that after learning it. But it, it does seem a little weird that you got to a singles event that most people would say is a real mini golf tournament. And you had a lot of people who couldn't get in because of the field and the points and all of those sort of things. Well, and, and that goes back to the whole pop stroke season for 2023 and the rollout because a lot of that's been wiped from online because they had had a different schedule where it was really packed. I think they had like five or six tournaments initially scheduled through the first five months of the year. And a few of those events were doubles events. So they were going to play off of what happened in 2022 and make that a thing. There wasn't a single doubles event through any of the tour series this year. That all went away and I think the number of tournaments dropped a bit because I remember it being more than five, and that's what it was this year. Again, the big thing that they won with, their purses in every tournament matched the Masters, which prior to that was the biggest. Now you have Putting World out in Scottsdale as well that people are playing in. That's 30000 a month. Again, we'll see how sustainable that is, but we're talking about Pop Stroke and Putting World pretty much being the creme de la creme for people who want to play in high stakes mini golf slash putting tournaments. They're the biggest in the world. 
and it's not really even close, but we'll see how sustainable it is. I had started to look at all of the different tournaments and what the turnout looked like. And, you know, there was 61 in Orlando in January, and then all of a sudden it dropped to 28, Fort Myers. Then back in May, they jumped up to around 70. Seemed like the one in Texas and, and Glendale did okay, but they they dropped all those purses that were supposed to be around 25K to about 15K. And I think just being more realistic about that with people and what that amount is going to be will help. I do know that the players got a lot of that information from Guillaume and the Pop Stroke organizers. So to their credit, they got a lot of players feedback throughout the season and were really good about communicating with the players, which then frankly rolled over to us that we got some of that information. I think some of that was less public, but at least they were catering and taking care of the top players, which we've seen a lot of organizations in the United States get to a certain point and they just sort of ignore the concerns of the players. We've heard that from a number of organizations. And I know with the AMA, we definitely aim, I mean, we, we'll talk about it later, but you know, we want to have feedback from our players because we want to make sure that people feel good about things, that they don't feel like events are changing and purses are changing, you know, back and forth and dates are changing back and forth. People are scheduling their lives around it. And frankly, none of the money that people are making makes it sustainable for a career. So you really have to listen to the players because especially if you're charging 300 an event, you need to make sure that they're happy. And they've at least listened to the players, but they still have a, a long ways to go. I mean, what do you think, Pat? Oh, uh, well, you know, I try not to be too cynical because I don't want it to come across as being, you know, too mini golf centric with some of my roles, but you know, we we saw what happened to MSOP. Run by the same people. Run by the same people. And there's very similar signs. And as a you know business person, I kind of sit there and go, am I going to get bit twice? You know, fool me once, shame on me sort of thing. And I just don't know if the market that they have is going to support this long term with the way they do it. You, know, you talk about yeah, they, there's good communication with the top players and stuff, but you read out the numbers at the tournaments. You can't expect to grow this with that number of players because at some point, like, how do you bring more people in is really the question. And you're, you're opening new courses in places you already have them. And presumably anybody who was really interested were probably traveling to the ones that were already in those areas for the most part, right? We've already talked about the big mini golf players, are already going to these. And so it's, it's just interesting to see like I, and we've talked about this on a bunch of different episodes, right? Like I don't want to drop $300 no. on a tournament that I don't really at the end of the day, know what the outcome is going to be in terms of how that places me for a finals competition or even, you know, at the end of the day, how much I could potentially win at that tournament there's not a lot of practice. You got to pay a lot while you're down there. And so 25 to $35 a day. And you're playing with the public there with Sunday right. and Monday tournaments that are following a Friday and Saturday where the and, courses are packed to the gills. 
Right. And for us up north, it's it's a few hundred bucks in travel no matter where you go in any of yep. those locations. So, I don't know. I mean, I hope they pull together. Like I said, I think that doubles thing is really interesting. And maybe there's a way we can craft that as as something. And I also wonder, you know, how much are they going to get from the golf community too, right? Because, yeah. you know, there's a bunch of golfers who are in here, but how much are they going to want to continue to do this versus actually spending, I mean, $300 is more than going to play a really nice golf course too, right? Like, and yeah. golfers want to golf, not just putt. So, um, you know, I hope they stay around. I hope they continue to kind of evolve and come up with things because it's it's good to have such a large base of courses that are relatively you know they're not putt-putt style and that they're the same but they're relatively consistent you know what you're going to get from yep. a pop stroke course and, and they're skill-based they're skill-based people like playing them i mean for all intents and purposes they seem well maintained now they've only been around for a couple of years so there's only but so much you know you could do to those courses in that time so having that in the market and having a competitive thing around it i think is really good but i'm skeptical and still we see you know, what they're going to do to adjust to some of the things that were thrown at them this year. And and the interesting thing, so they have new courses opening in South Carolina, Nevada, Alabama, and Tennessee in the new year, plus a bunch more weirdly in Florida as if they didn't already have enough with like five, they just opened up one in Del Rey, but then a few more in Texas. So they're still really in a narrow section of the US, but I think the challenge is if you look at the fields and you took out all of the names, like we kind of did with the Masters a year ago, or yeah, about a year ago, and you pulled out who are the unique individuals pulling away from the tour championship, just the tour series, you might not have even a hundred unique individuals total in all of those events where the top event had 70, just, you know, maybe it's a little more than that. And it's not dismissing it. It's they're they're getting a lot of the same people and it feels like there's if they want to grow they need to get people who are outside of it and that's going to be their big challenge but the courses reward skill and that's going to be a plus for the players i think the hard part is if they don't grow it the challenges they have are not from the other organizations but it's from the individual course owners who don't see the benefit of running an event for 60 to 100 people that they're not really generating any more revenue when those courses are jam-packed. And the sad thing is, is a lot of those putt-putt courses, there's multiple of them and they're not that packed. So them doing tournaments on a regular basis and just closing it off to the public, it's not really harming them. These courses can't afford it. You saw that early in the year that some of these tournaments were during peak points of the week that was part of the shift. Everything started to move to Sunday, Monday because the courses don't want to lose out on that revenue. So, yeah, that's which also makes it tougher yeah. to grow your your player base too. Because yeah. again, everybody's got a daytime job. Playing a tournament Sunday, Monday is a whole lot more difficult than playing the yep. tournament Friday, Saturday. Well, and then you, yeah, you're flying in there probably. You know, you're taking a full week off at that point for these individual events and it looks more like the masters but you're playing it six to seven times in the year and so and you're playing two rounds three rounds right like it's not it's, yeah yeah and it'll be interesting too right like you don't know as these courses become settled does that pop of 
uniqueness. Like I, I, I don't know what's happened with like Top Golf or those. You know, you're going to get these huge bumps when you put them in place. Yeah. Does it settle out? And I guess we'll see it in Myrtle Beach, right? Because yes, you're going to open a pop strip there in a place that is obviously super saturated. Yes, with mini golf. I mean, the location that it's in is yeah, Broadway at the beach is going to have a lot of people. So yep. I would expect for the first year, yeah, absolute ton of people are going to go play that. But does that level out to a point where two, three years from now, maybe it does make more sense to close off a course for a couple days because sure. you're not going to lose as much and you can focus it. So, I mean, there's a, there's some things that just need to play out with the newness of the whole thing. No, I agree. And yeah, it, it's all going to be interesting to see what the schedule looks like for 2024, but we probably should jump to the AMA. We're already the I whole think, point of us talking about this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, we, we can get going. And I think a lot of the conversation about pop stroke is active because there's a lot of potential with those types of courses. It's as close as we have to the city golf adventure style courses that Europe has, where a lot of those people that are coming over, they want to play them. They don't want to play the inconsistent multiple course circuit that is the masters i mean take a look at the masters there was one foreign player the pop stroke tour championship there was at least at least 12 people in the field minimum from at least five different countries that's a big deal and that says something but more on that later because we have an ama season to wrap up and we had a few events happen since last time we were on here and we had Don Lazader in the Show Me Putters Tour Championship in Branson, Missouri. He won the Tour Championship by Jody Kimball over eight rounds on two courses. And that decided their own tight race for the Show Me Putters Tour Championship that Don won. So congrats to Don not only on winning that eight-round tournament, but winning the Tour Championship over Jody Kimball. They were going back and forth on events, and it just seems like those two are like the top flight players along with Eric Feig, who's uh, own, or running that league. So it's interesting to follow them the last couple of years and we'll see where they go. But congrats to uh, both Don and Jody on a great season. And uh, then we move to our last in-person tournament of the season. And we talked about it, but hopefully it's not the last tournament or days of this course but the putters course in newark ohio that's a putt-putt style course it was a six-round tournament and Corey klotz had won it last year and after six rounds he and jeff studer were still tied so with putt-putt tournaments they do an entire full round where Corey really got the better of jeff winning 30 to 37 in that seventh round repeating as the putters course champion hopefully there's a chance for him to defend it again, but fingers crossed for them. If it's the last one that Corey runs there, I think he's got to feel pretty proud that he's run it. Again, with all these, you can find the results in the events that have happened in our events section. Third place was John Lang, who's played the Masters and is a top kind of Great Lakes area putter. And then we had Matt Mayo, who came back out from California to play, who came in fourth, and Brent Whirling from Indiana, who came in fifth, who's playing at the Fort Wayne putt-putt course in their local events and does a lot of putt-putt stuff. But uh, I guess Matt Mayo, partially why he came back, is prior to Corey, he was the one running the 
course championships over at putters, if I understood correctly. So very cool to see that. They had 10 people who had some really great scores in that event. Uh, the next events now we have are our virtual events. And we repeated some events that we had early in the year on Walkabout and Putt 18 so people could get an opportunity at the end of the season to get some virtual points. You can get the max of five on either of the events. You know, you can get five, four, or three if you come in first or third. And then if you're in the top 50%, but below the first three, you get two points. And if you're in the lower 50%, you get one. So if you just show up, you get a point. Walkabout, one of our few repeat winners was Jorge Rimblas from Minnesota. He shot a minus 44 on the Jeez. two Tethys <laughs> courses. Jorge shot a minus 23 on the easy course and a minus 21 on the hard course. He had Sean Brown right on his heels. Sean only shot a minus 18 on the easy course, but a minus 24 on the hard course for a minus 42, only two behind Jorge. Mick Cullen has been playing in the weekly league that we're utilizing the scores from for this tournament. It was the first week of season 11. Mick shot the best round on the easy course of Tethys with a minus 25 to shoot an overall minus 39. And then we had Kyle Corsi coming in fourth, who's showing that not only can he do it in real life and on putt 18, but he can do it on walkabout shot. A minus 34. We had a good little field of 11 folks. That event's not in theory totally over. We're giving time for people if they want to opt in, but we doubt that anybody else is going to opt in. And we kind of know who some of the top players already finished. So that's probably looking like what that field is going to be. And then I'll chime in on this, but I'm going to turn it over to Pat for our putt 18 final uh, event of the season that we just had here on the 5th through the 11th of November. Yeah. And speaking of should have just showed up for a point, I feel like that's what I should have just done. <laughs> just stood there for 15 <laughs> minutes versus actually putting a single ball because man, I am way off my putt 18 game, but I, I got in there, but and, and Tom, you had done really well and, you were up there batting with Dave Gom for what we thought was going to be first place in this event. And then, well, is that Gary Schiff's music? Because holy cow, did he come in on the final day and absolutely just wax the floor with everybody. And it, I don't want to say it came out of nowhere. I mean, a little bit, did, but his first three rounds were, were good. Yeah. 70, 65, 75. And yeah, those were all kind of right in the neighborhood. And Gary's obviously a great putter, but he came in on the fourth round and uh, shot a 54, which is minus 18 and tied the world record for putt 18. So it was, I didn't watch it real time. Tom was watching it real time and texting, you know, me and Aaron and we were getting some stuff. I finally got a chance to go back and watch it and just eight Eagles, eight out of 18 holes. And I was surprised because he even had some bogeys thrown in there too, or at least one bogey thrown in. I was like, man, like, it was one of those things knowing where it ended up and watching that round. You're like, how the hell is he going to get from this score to that score? And then the Eagles just kept dropping and dropping and dropping. And then what, even his, what was his last set was two Eagles, yeah. right? The last three holes. So. Um, congratulations to Gary. I just put it on an absolute show. We got some of that stuff up on social media if you want yep. to go and follow it. But he took um, 
took a ran first place with that. And then if we go down um, a name that we haven't called out a whole lot this year because he's skipped some events, but Justin Seymour showing that, like Kyle, um, not just an outside on an actual mini golf course great player. He ended up sneaking into second place, edging out you and uh, Dave for by one stroke. On the last three holes he needed a minus one to tie dave gom and i at minus 13 overall for three rounds he shoots his best round in the fourth round and he gets an eagle in the last three holes that wins it for him i had come in during the middle of the second round so i wasn't aware that he had already shot a under par round to start and in fact I have my scores backwards here. Uh, I realized in the 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 scoring thing that I need to fix. Um, he shot a minus. He shot a sixty nine in the last round, but he shot a sixty five before I tuned in. So I didn't realize that he had that, and he was that close. And then all of a sudden, Anna, his wife, who just watched their videos, the Anna and Justin show, were pretty pretty amusing watching a couple who are very competitive, both cheering each other on and getting frustrated when they weren't doing well. <laughs> they. It was it was in very good uh, spirit, but uh, yeah, it it was really funny to see Justin win it on that final hole, the final set of holes. And oddly enough, being in first place, it felt like a little bit of irony because I was playing in the match play event that Gary right. set up, where I beat Gary and I beat Justin prior to it, and both of them knock me down to third. But I take. My first podium and sharing it with David Gom is no small thing. He had won our previous putt 18 event back in January, and he's shot some lights out rounds and just had a couple that got away from him. Kyle Corsi came in fifth, or Kyle Corsi yeah. came in fifth, and then we had Ed Weiss, Jared Mutter, uh, Griffin Weiss, and Aaron Kaminsky, and Cam Fincher finish out the top half of the field. We ended up having 20 people that played and both of our putt 18 events went really well. And I think we'll do it again. I had time on my hands as I'm looking for a job to watch and review all of them. And I've grown to have even a deeper appreciation as we're kind of getting all to know each other better in this competitive circuit of hanging out with people while you're in your house and watching them play and be like, Hey, and it's, this weird thing that we've gotten used to, but it's it was nice to see everybody play and everybody trying and everybody caring about how they did, watching, replaying the video of Joey playing at three in the morning, watching some people live and all sorts of stuff. I, I think it went really well and we're looking at both with Putt 18 and Walkabout repeating those events because they're ones that A, anybody can do from their home and B, I know that people have been like, oh, it's like about $200 to get a a mat for putt 18 and depending on which device you get for VR, it can be anywhere between three to $600 between buying walkabout and the game and the device. But think about what we were talking about, how much it costs to travel to some of these tournaments. You can do this from your home. And for us, the biggest thing is there's a lot of States that the AMA has zero presence in. So this gives an opportunity for people to get to know each other compete with each other in different ways, build these connections, and maybe consider traveling. I know that when I went over to the UK, I already knew a bunch of people 
because of the Putt 18 World League. It's like, oh, there's Paul Tutt. There's Dave Gom. There's Shelly Cooper. There's, you know, all these people that I've gotten to know over the last couple of years while we're playing in this league. So our hope is, is that there's people who are playing in real life that go over to Putt 18 and walkabout and vice versa. You don't have to like them all. There's people that are like, I don't like walkabout. I get motion sick or I don't like Putt 18. It's just kind of repetitive or I don't have a a floor to play on. And that's totally fine. But we want to make those different options available and have some points out there to be got, but not make it so much so that it's going to determine the season. So, yeah, I mean, that's our that's our season. It has been a long time. And I don't know if ever, actually, that I've been dead last in a tournament. You beat me by sixty something strokes, man. I... <laughs> your mat, your mat. I don't know There's what was going, going on. Something going on between your mat and your floor because it it it's its own different thing. I know that Matt Rolstad had played in the match play event. He he got waxed and he was just like so disappointed. It's like it's a totally different game when you are trying to stop a ball in exact place and the type of floor surface that you're putting on the temperature of the floor, all of that comes into play, let alone breaks. Like when I play, my break is a hard right. And I've found as I've gotten better and I know how to read breaks a little bit better, that there's a different break between hole 11 and this. Like the my floor is like all over the place where now I'm like playing around with different tee positions. It's just been... Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, you, yeah, you really got to like, you, if you got to put the mat in the same place, I mean, you got, you almost have to take more notes on it than a regular mini golf course because of the precision that's required. And I just, I have to laugh about it because I have no idea what happened that day and why the oh, mat was so either. much different. But it, 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 to your point, it is fun to watch everybody else. And it's fun, like, it's one of those things. And I think mini golf is this way in general, right? Like, I did really crappy. But I was so excited to watch Gary's round because it was oh so God. amazing. Like, and I could Incredible. care less on, on what happened to mine at the end of the day. So I'm glad that was like really the wrap up of our season was yep. his final round. So it's a good way to put a bow on it. I guess a good transition to yeah. So that leads us into actually talking about the the AMA season. So I know there's a lot of items we want to try to get to here. Some of which we've we've covered a little bit, but. Let's let's start by just setting the stage of where we ended up with everything. So in 2023, we actually ended up running 21 events. And so that was <laughs> up from the nine that we had in the first year. 17 of those were in person. And then we had the four virtual. So we had the, the two putt 18 and the two walkabout that kind of booked in the season. Um, so a lot of outdoor, indoor, around the, the country putting. We had events in 11 states, which is pretty good. And of those 21 events, I know we talked a little about, about Jorge's winning at the walkabout. We only had one other repeat winner. So we had 19 different event winners for those events. And um, I had saw Steve Lovell had posted something about like the difficulty of winning back-to-back events, you know, uh, the same event year over year. But I think this also shows the difficulty of just winning multiple events in a year of how yeah. hard it is with the variety of playing. Because a lot of these events had people who, you know, played multiple events. I mean, I think about it, we'll talk about Aaron a little bit, who was really up there. 
in mm-hmm. all of the events he played, but we only had Matt Rolstad who was able to grab first place in two in real life of events. And so congrats to him to having that one, uh, that one piece of standout this year. So um, I know, you know, we'll talk a little bit, maybe not in this episode as much, but as we roll into 24 and what the plans are there, but you know, 17 and, and four virtual, that, that was a full plate this year. <laughs> and I don't, think we're probably going to shrink that. I would say the no. virtual will probably stay about the same, but the interest from course owners and people who are, want to organize tournaments keeps rolling in. I'd be surprised if we had less than 20 next year and it's just going to be hold on to our seats. So if there's some of you out there that love mini golf and want to get involved with our organizer team at the AMA, whether it's helping writing up recaps of events and all of that, don't hesitate. But the one other number I really felt proud about is that we had probably over 500 some registrations for all of our tournaments. But of that, we had over 400 unique individuals playing that I'm certain in the United States defies defines us as having probably the most unique players playing in events. And that's something that we're really proud of. Our membership is still free. Not everybody becomes a member and that's fine. Not everybody wants to opt in their scores. If you come in last an event, you probably don't necessarily want to become a member, but I think we want to acknowledge people all across the board and that's been really cool, but I'll let you Pat uh, jump in us into like the top 10 so we can really talk about the players that did it this season. Yeah. And I guess as a quick recap before we get there, cause this will come into play as we talk mm. about some of the the players is just, you know, from our scoring perspective, what we did this year is we took each of the tiers, the red, white, and blue, and the way you earned points was whatever your best finish in each of those tiers were, you got. We added those together, and then there were bonus points for podiums or high finishes and the amount that you played. So one of the things that we were interested in going into the year is what would the cumulative points look like for people if they weren't able to play in all three tiers or if what are the different combinations and how does that work and i think we got a a pretty good data set from the way our top 10 finished into Mm -hmm. how that can potentially play out and how you can get into the top place um you know with different types of combinations of things and what you play and where you finish so we're you know, working our way up from the top 10. You know, At 10th, we had Landon Weiss uh, out of New Jersey there. He played in two tournaments. I mean, the big thing was he won the, the O Street tournament in the summer. But he ended up playing no red tournaments. So he missed out on a column to potentially get more points there. Um, similarly, if we look at ninth place, we got Sean Brown, who played three tournaments. He played the two walkabout. But he missed out on the white tournaments. And when you're kind of looking at the potential points in play you know, that's at least a potentially five point swing if you miss a red versus a white. So that's a a bigger chunk of points left on the table that he didn't get to, but still he managed to finish ninth, which is playing the three tournaments and a couple of walkabout. Um, I don't know. Who's number eight, Tom? I came in (laughs) number eight despite only getting a single podium, which was that walkabout event. Now, technically, I also earned bonus points in... Atlanta putters league where I felt like I had my best finish where I finished behind two Gary's Hester and English and Kyle Cutshaw and just above Danny Baddeley and a 
number of really great putters from down south. So that felt like my biggest win in addition to the putt 18 where it's like anywhere where I'm squeezed in between Jared Mutter, Kyle Corsi, Dave Gom, Justin Seymour, and Gary Schiff, it's good company. It's it's like playing in our local league in town. If I'm in the mix and ahead of either Eric Castilius, Sean Brown, or Matt Rolstad in an event, it's a success. They're all really good putters, and I'm still trying to improve my game. But yeah, I played the most tournaments, I guess, of anybody's seven. A lot of it was just to kind of see how they were running as part of an organizer, but also the great thing about doing that is you can also play, and that's something you see in all of the competitive organizations like the BMGA, the people that run it, also playing it, and that's a good thing. Played both the walkabout and putt 18 and definitely didn't max out on those and came in came in eighth. I was hoping to even maybe move up a spot, but Justin <laughs> Seymour and Gary Schiff had a... Uh, had had something to say about that and that's perfectly fine like I, I I know I didn't play my best in every tournament I probably had my best results in tournaments that were not in there I mean namely the crazies and it was a fun year but yeah seventh you know I, w- I finished in eighth and then in seventh you know I'm right behind Gary, Gary Hester. Hester who and so <laughs> he won a tournament in the putters league that I'd mentioned. And then he came in fourth after a tiebreaker at the red putter, but he didn't play a red tournament. He plays a red tournament. He's probably the number one player. I think yeah. that's really clear. And the next one, number six, Justin Seymour played four tournaments and played putt 18 both times. If he plays one red tournament and comes in the top three, he wins the season outright. Plain and, and he, simple. He, he skipped Dolphin, which is a red tournament. So which he's won. Matterhorn, which he's won four times in a row. He skipped out that. And now it worked out for him at Matterhorn. I mean, he came in second, but he essentially tied for first there. And I know it's a health, but like that decision probably unfortunately cost him the season. But I, but the thing I, you, you alluded to very quickly that I think is worth calling out. We've mentioned Justin had a, like herniated disc surgery this year and is now playing with a belly putter, and came in tied for second last year with Matt Lyles. He sits out one tournament that if he would have played, he would have won it. That is beyond impressive to me. Like kudos to Justin. He had talked with me about some of the pain he's dealing with outside of his back and that he's still going for it and playing that well just he is and you don't know right like we we joke about that that he plays that he probably wins but if he plays that maybe he doesn't do as well at Matterhorn either right because of his back so but to come in sixth with all of the issues that he's had and just to continue to play as well is a great accomplishment yeah, and this is not to t- take anything away from any player. I think what we want to take a look at this top 10, and we can say more about it afterwards, it's not about defining this is the absolute best, but it's these are the top players, and th- it's a it's a conversation. And I think down the road, and Aaron's talked about it with me this week when I was chatting with him, is be fun to have an event where we get everybody together. That logistically it's really difficult where everybody lives but i think it's a really great idea but for now it's like a conversation where in college football there i yep, don't follow it as much anymore that's the that, comp that we've always had is this is free football playoffs like any one of these top 10 players 
Yes. Could be quote unquote number one. And it, and it's clear that there is this whole group is kind of separating themselves in the same way we saw it last year, even with the different point system of like, yeah, if you put all of these players together in one tournament, it'd be a hell of a tournament. And some of them, some of them were, I mean, I look at, you know, do the top five the rest of the top five, but I believe the MC mini masters probably had half of this field. Yeah, so in tied for fourth, we had Kyle Corsi, who we've talked about, absolutely great full year here in the AMA tournaments. He played all the virtual stuff. He had a win. He came in second in Dolphin. Um, he came down and played the Masters with us, which is obviously not an AMA tournament, but just absolute ton of mini golf this year. It ties with our youngest person in the top five, uh, probably our one of, you know, youngest people in the, the AMA overall, Griffin Weiss, who Played a lot of tournaments and won the the early O Street tournament. Played putt eighteen this time around and showed that you can do pretty well on that mat as well. So um, great to see some of the youth there coming up and, and kicking our butt on a lot of these things. And then we go, uh, you know, no stranger to the top spots in the AMA here, Mick Cullen, who won last year's season at the AMA. He played four tournaments. He had a win. And then Matt Rolstad, who has just thrown himself into a lot of the stuff. Five tournaments, plus he's played walkabout, he played putt 18. We mentioned before he is our only real-life repeat winner or dual winner during the season. I guess he wasn't a a repeat winner. Won two different events, let's put it that way. And, you know, I don't know if we should allow this person to be number one in the rankings just because (laughs) we have to hear it for an entire year, but kudos to Aaron. Um he played, I guess, the second most amount of tournaments. He played six tournaments. He got in walkabout and putt 18 this last go-around. And this was interesting because he didn't win any tournament, but his finishes and everything he played were great. He might have, I didn't look at this, I should have, but he may have gotten the most podium points, like bonus points in total. And that was close. Matt, Matt no. had, well, he goes, well, Matt yeah. had two wins. Because, yeah, that makes sense. But he, uh, and, he and Justin Seymour's, so Matt Rolstead yeah. got 14 podium points and then Aaron and Justin got 12. But the interesting thing about Aaron's, if you look at them, he got a few of those at the O Street Open that he runs, but he also got them at the Shack, a place that he had to travel to play. Farmington, which is a massive field that's super competitive, that he got a bunch of points. And he even picked up one this year at the miniest as well as getting one in the winter classic. So he was getting on the podiums for pretty much every event that he played minus Matterhorn. So you look at that and you're like, and Matterhorn was super, super competitive this year and really dominated by those local nutmeggers from Connecticut. So you take a look at that and he played well in everything that he did this year so it's not really much of a surprise and he didn't really rack up the virtual points either he was behind both Matt Rolstad Mick Cullen Kyle and Justin in virtual bonus points so he he really got his points on the podium and playing six tournaments the participation points they don't really add up that much again All of this stuff, we are going to look at the point scoring system, not because we don't feel like these results represent the best players, but even me where I'm like, should I be in the top 10 based on how I finished with some of the people that, you know, fell lower? We want to encourage participation, but how do we find more ways 
for people to participate is a thing that we're going to talk more about when we talk about our virtual event. But before we get too far into that... Well, and I think just looking at the top five, I mean, I think it's, it's clear that you got to play in each division, right? Yes. The red, white, and blue. But when you have a year where you don't have somebody winning multiple events other than Matt... Yeah, and like it does kind of play out of like you do have to do well in every event you're in, even if yes. you're not winning. Now, it'd be interesting to see if we play next year and somebody comes out and wins four events. You know, do they like does that? But like because we didn't have somebody doing that, that group of people who are in the top five, there's a lot of different combinations that got them there. Yeah. And and I should before we even get into all of the other stuff, I should I made a list of some sort of notable finishes for the season that fell outside the top 10, but you had Tom twice that didn't play in any red tournaments, but played in two blue and a white and had great finishes in both of those that he plays a red. He's in the top 10. You didn't play Farmington this year because you were in Sweden. You play anywhere near your standard. You're in the top 10 highlighter. Didn't play in a red tournament. He would have been in a top 10 Eric Asilius didn't play a white tournament. He would have been in there. We had Glenda Reining, who came in 24th and was our top female competitor amongst a number of really great women competitors like Anna Seymour, my wife, Robin Schwartzman, who won two amateur events. So that for us is like all positives that we have other people that are close in the race. And we have a lot of both families and young people and women playing in these events. Uh, I also wanted just to make a quick, quick, quick mention that we've probably mentioned in the pod previously, but that had won events. We had Matt Krause that won his third red putter tournament. He won that. Jeff Mosk won down in Texas. Elmer won at the Dolphin Open. Elmer Lawson, that is. Scott Logano won the Farmington event. Dave Veda won Matterhorn. And Scott Klein won the Shack. So we just wanted to give a shout out to everybody because frankly, for us, Part of what we want to do in the AMA is recognize the broad swath of players because a lot of events, it really does focus on a narrow group of players. And for us, we want everybody to be recognized. We don't have to give everybody a trophy. We don't have to give everybody money and prizes, but I think it's worth recognizing people in this game that people are still like unfamiliar as a competitive game to recognize improvement and successes. And that's that's important. And so that jumps right into what we were going to discuss next, which is successes. Yeah, so we, we've we talked about, I mean, a lot of these things already as we've gone through with the, the number of tournaments. Tom brought up the number of players. You know, I think it's a success to see the parity that we've had. I mean, it is nice. It is also fun to see when somebody really goes out and, wins a bunch of events, but I think it's good that you can come in knowing that you've got a pretty good chance at winning an event when there's not somebody out there dominating. You know, so far it looks like the changes we've made to the scoring system have seemed to play out. You know, like Tom mentioned, we're going to do a deep dive. We'll, we'll get some feedback from folks. Um, you know, we're really trying to find out what the sweet spot is in terms of rewarding people who play a lot, but, not over rewarding them because some sections of the country don't have a lot. And I think we'll see some more changes or maybe not even changes to the full rankings, but we may spin off some divisions or some like parallel things to try to, to do more with the rankings to understand, you know, this isn't as simple as 
you know, just having a league that plays at the same place for 15 weeks throughout the year and, and giving a ranking points to that. But I, I think it, I've heard less so far from our membership about this year's ranking system compared to where we were last year. Yeah, the biggest thing I heard was from a lot of people towards the end of the season, which I view as a positive because people are excited about it, was I really wish there was another opportunity for me to play in blank division that I didn't get to play in so I could make that top 10 or move up the charts. I know there were one or two with Salty Seagull and Putters League that moved around that might have impacted people. And I think for us, we want to make sure that when we get events scheduled that those dates are in stone and things don't move. Obviously, weather can be a factor and you have to move a tournament. But I feel like the feedback has not been as strong as last year where the system averaged out people in different tiers that ultimately punished people for playing in multiple tournaments. That's not the case this year. And I'm glad that that got figured out. Ideally, we get more and more divisions and more places, but that goes back to, again, we just need more help and assistance in trying to do this because it's really hard to try to build a national organization with a handful of people running it. Even the UK that has a much smaller distance from course to course, and it makes it easier for people to travel. They still have probably like six or seven people that are helping run the BMGA and organize that. So if you're interested in doing that, that's great. But the volume of players has just been incredible seeing all these different names. And I saw on this list, the respect in the mini golf community. I think people are starting to take us seriously, both in the States and abroad. And part of it's because we care about the game and we're showing it. I think our setback to begin with the summit and that whole mess, we learned a lot. And we're very open to feedback, both positive and negative. And people are seeing that. But we also want it to be about representing the best players and be welcoming and inviting, which I think all of them have been. And we've 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 teamed up with people that are also well-respected. Someone like Brian Akers down at the Putters League in Atlanta who played for Team USA and had a great showing at the Masters. People know him. We teamed up with the Red Putter this year that people have known for 20 plus years running great tournaments and just keep adding to it. And that's our goal. We don't want to run all of these tournaments. We just want to represent and acknowledge the broad swath of what mini golf is being played in the United States in all of its very different ways, which is why we included those virtual events. It's like really hard to connect the dots. And some of those things that we'd like to improve are going to be really hard. I look at these tournaments in Europe where there's lodging and public transportation that's really close to the courses. We can't do anything about that. We're just going to be open about it. It's going to be hard to get to some of these places. But I promise you, if you are someone that doesn't live near any of these courses and you drop us a note, we will respond to you. We want to make sure that you know what to expect going into it and the challenges, and you can make that decision. I had lots of people interested in Salty Seagull, and it's just like, you're going to have to fly into Milwaukee or Green Bay. You're still going to have to rent a car, and lodging could be expensive during that time of year. It, there's just a lot of places where you have to have a car, 
and you don't have public transit. And that's not anything we can fix, but we are going to try to find ways within what we have to make it as good as possible in all of the different ways and acknowledge people across the board. I look at our amateur winners this year and they'll come up, amateur will come up later in, in my big thoughts, but I, you know, we have someone like Owen Pendleton, who's very young that won our amateur event at the miniest. We had other people that won in other amateur divisions. And I think that's the kind of stuff that we want to make available for players across the board, because this game has a long way to go in the United States versus other places. We are the biggest country that plays competitive mini golf on a really big scale and that has a lot of courses, but we have a fairly small community overall in the United States, given our population size and course availability. So there's, there's opportunities, but you had a couple other improvement point things that I think, yeah, there are things you added to our like document that I'm looking at that are, I couldn't agree with more. Yeah. And I mean, I think this is a lot of stuff that, you know, we, Tom and I and Aaron, you know, we're all very, we try to self-improve. Right. And so this, we knew there was a couple things. And I think some of this may, may become a little bit easier for us once we kind of establish what the base of our tournaments are, right? Like this year we went from what is it, nine to 21. So, so much of our effort was getting these tournaments established and put on it. But there's a few things that we just want to do a little bit better on. I mean, I think we were a little bit um, haphazard sometimes in posting news articles to the website and all of the social media updates. Although, Tom, you did a great job with a lot of that stuff, especially recently uh, on some of the tournaments that weren't in our core group's control and getting that out there. But, you know, that's a focus for us. We just want to be consistent. And I think you, know, you brought up something that I didn't think about that we could probably start to work better on. And I know the the WAG tour has done this really well of putting in information about travel and hotel into those event pages to help people kind of figure out, well, how do I get there and expand it beyond that local base who knows how to do those things. So we've got, you know, something there. And then, you know, ultimately we, we do want to set out kind of at the beginning of the year, well, what are you playing for in these rankings? And, you know, last year we had some of the, the walkabout stuff and, and some other prizes. Well, I don't even know if we, we haven't even announced what we're going to give to our top group here. We could talk a little bit about the players meeting, but, you know, as we've kind of s settled in and figured out what these things are and, um, you know, we talk about walkabout being our, our membership sponsor too. So it's still free to play, right? Like, so we can play with some of, this um it's not i would feel worse if i was saying like hey everybody pay 50 bucks to be a member and i can't tell you what you're playing for at the end of the year right but we we know that's an area where we do want to bring that a little bit more into focus because eventually we want to get to and whether it is hey maybe there's a big tournament at the end of the year that you're playing for x y and z you know that's how we're going to involve so you know being transparent if you're listening to this and an ama player you kind of know a little bit of where we're going and i think uh Speaking of talking about where we're going and some other stuff, well, maybe before we get into that, I don't know, Tom, is there anything else on your side that's kind of popped up of things you, we should do better? One, one of them is just on the news articles, social media updates, is just communication in general. And I think we've done a pretty good job between podcast and social media, but adding to that, we started up a email newsletter that a number of people have signed up for already and that we'll share out those links for broadly 
But we want to keep people ideally getting one to two emails a month so they have it in that platform. So you don't have to go on Instagram or Twitter or wherever to find that information and updates that you can get it right in your inbox and find out here's our schedule of events, here's our virtual events, here's what's coming up, here are the people that won some of the recent events. That that kind of acknowledgement in a broader way. And I think hopefully we can repurpose some of that content where we're putting that also as part of our recaps. I think pointing to people and letting them know, hey, at the very least, after an event's done, if you go to the past event, you will find a embedded Google Sheet that has not only the round by round results, but it will have who scored the points and where. So you can see that all now for all 21 events from this year. But ideally what we're doing and we're working on in the off season is in any event where we can get the organizers to give us hole by hole results, we want to put those in Bond Golf Arena. We've already done that. If you look at the events for Matterhorn, O Street, Miniest, Looniest, all of them in the res- in the event, if you look at the top, scroll down a little bit, you'll see a link to the Bond Golf Arena hole by hole results which are nice for people to see going into the new season, what's the standard, how many rounds are being played. That's the kind of stuff that's going to improve and what we're working on really pulling together in this off season. I think we have a few people that have been offering up help and we're going to do that and we're going to keep tweaking things. I can tell you right now with all of the upcoming Minnesota tournaments, they're all going to be tweaked a little bit. Some of them are going to have extra activities. Some of them are going to have extra rounds. And the reason for that mostly is to really separate these events and make them more fun. It's watching what you've done and what Gary Schiff has done and what others have done to make tournaments special. Even if some of ours, like Lily Putts, two rounds, there's a lot of putts being taken in those two rounds, but we want to do something extra so that it's not just a league event. It's not just a get together with your friends event. And that's what we're really trying to hold apart with the AMA. And ideally we're getting more giveaways and prizes from some sponsors throughout the year that we can kind of throw in the mix and have those available for not only people that are playing in individual tournaments, but maybe for all of them. And so that's all stuff that We want to improve on and grow on, but much like me and my own improvement in mini golf and being a little bit gentle with myself, it's like I'm playing in tournaments with people that have been playing competitive mini golf for 50 years. I can't get too frustrated with myself when I've been playing this game for four years competitively and hopefully players that are out there that have been playing a lot hear that from us is that we're constantly working on improving this. The amount of messages that us organizers are exchanging, things that we're talking about, the amount of different course owners and operators that we're talking to, to give tips and feedback. It's a lot. And, you know, we love doing this and we want to keep it going and want your feedback. And that really piggybacks perfectly into how we're going to uh, collect some of that information. Yeah, so on Thursday, December 7th, so that's three weeks from now, 
ish, we will have a virtual get together at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern. So a little bit late for us East Coast folks, but you know, drink some coffee, you'll be fine. And uh, we will, I guess, if you're on the email distribution, we send out the link as well. I don't know if we've actually talked about how we're going to get the we, actual we're Zoom gonna link add to this people. <laughs> we're going to add the link to join the event. In, it'll be in our event section by the time this podcast goes go. up. So you'll be able to link to that Zoom event and come to that event. We'll, we'll have sort of a little bit of a recap and, of the season and talk about what we're thinking and then have some opportunity for players to offer feedback we're going to record the event because I already know several people said that they can't make it and we're going to make that available afterwards. And if you're not able to attend, that's fine because our goal really is to send out a survey that will go out in in an email that precedes the virtual event where we're asking for feedback and any suggestions or any ideas based on what tournaments you've played in for this year. So we're going to send out a survey in advance of that event, and we're going to address some of those questions and address some of the things that we already have. But the things that we already have, they might get put in the backseat if we have a number of members that are like, I don't know how I feel about these tiers. Why aren't they in these different places? We're going to address that stuff first. We really want to make sure that people are heard and acknowledged, that doesn't mean we're going to completely change everything overnight. We're not going to just go, well, it's one tier and, you know, just to better represent certain areas. It's like, we want the game to grow. We want people to be playing in multiple tournaments and to have a ranking that represents people that played a lot and succeeded a lot. We can't do anything about the fact that our geography is big in the United States and we're really separated out but we're going to try our best to take the examples of what other people have done overseas with their circuits and get the best thing in place and keep growing it. But the biggest thing that I think I will add to that is we also want these players gatherings and meetings. So people get to know each other and have a chance to like meet up and maybe they get a meet up on walkabout and off season, but also then consider joining together and helping out in working on the AMA. This is going to be an endeavor that if mini competitive mini golf is going to grow in the United States, it needs to be a team effort. I know that we've worked with a number of other competitive organizations like the Putters League, the Show Me Putters, and others across the United States. And even all of us run our own tournaments, myself, Pat, and Aaron run our own little circuits in our own states. And if we're going to grow competitive mini golf. It's going to be a lot of people working together. And that's our goal is to connect the dots because we have an entire half of a country that we're not in. And so we're hoping a lot of people, instead of just complaining, oh, I wish the purses were bigger. Oh, I wish we had more tournaments. We want to encourage people to get involved and to improve it because there's huge opportunities to grow this game. Yeah, there's a little bit of control your own destiny, right? Like if you live in Utah, help us get a tournament there, right? And we'll put yes. one there, sort of thing. So, yeah, very interested to see what comes up. You know, and there's probably going to be some follow up after that. You know, 
depending on the type of feedback we get. And obviously we've got a huge player base. So some of it may be conflicting and just trying to figure out what the right way to go is. So excited to do it. Um, don't really get to see this much from any of the other organizations either, or it's, you know, sometimes difficult to, to pull together. So hopefully it will go out without a, a technological hitch, which, you know, at the podcast isn't always a done deal, but um, looking forward to, to talking about that. All right, I think we've we've gotten through pretty much everything. It's a good episode. Um, we want to give a another shout out to our sponsor, Walkabout. We've obviously dropped them a, a bunch of times today between their membership help and and what we've done with the tournaments this year. Um, we don't really have to talk too much about it being our favorite VR game, but they have another new course coming. It seems like every time we do an episode, they have a new course coming out i guess it's because we're about monthly at this point and they seem to be dropping it about monthly which is absolutely crazy it's dropping on december 7th it's a partnership with meow wolf which i don't know if a lot of people know about depends i guess how your artsy tastes are but it is from all intents and purposes look like it's going to be visually absolutely bonkers and so that'll really set it apart from some of the stuff that they have but even the things that they've come out lately, there's just been such a cool variety in the places. So they've had Alfheim, which is basically like playing in Lord of the Rings, Widow's Walkabout, which is a really cool haunted mansion, Lazelair, you get that kind of Incredibles feel. So they've really built out a great catalog of, you know, what your vibe is. You can go play mini golf in it and you can do it from the comfort of your home and the heat of your home in the middle of the winter. So, you know, with the holidays coming up... It's a great time to either ask for for a gift, maybe a donation towards it, thinking about investing it in yourself. I know the new Quest 3 just came out, which I've been eyeing a little bit about upgrading mm-hmm. as well on my end. So good time to jump in. And like Tom and I say, especially if you're in the north here, we've got, we've got a lot of long and cold nights ahead of us for a few months. So a good way to keep up on the mini golf. Okay, we finally made it to the end of this episode and we're going to dial up Big Thoughts Mini Golf. So earlier in this year, I signed up to get email blasts from a writer that I was reading his book, James Clear, who wrote this book called Atomic Habits. He shared these two quotes in a recent email about being an amateur that I wanted to share because I think they speak to the value of holding your love of the game of mini golf and a lot of other things. And the first quote came from a TV show that I wasn't familiar with, but I really liked And it said, you say amateur as if it was a dirty word. Amateur comes from the Latin word amare, which means to love, to do things for the love of it, which I really liked. But then there was a Jesuit priest named Anthony DeMello, and then he calls you to find what grips your soul. You must cultivate activities that you love. You must discover work that you do, not for its utility, but for itself, whether it succeeds or not. Whether you're praised for it or not, whether you loved and rewarded for it or not, whether people know about it and are grateful to you for it or not, how many activities can you count in your life that you engage in simply because they delight you and grip your soul? Find them out, cultivate them, for they are your passport to freedom and to love. So embrace the things that you love, even if you're an amateur. With that, we're at the 19th hole. So until next time, part one ready. Yeehaw.